And let's go before the Lord and pray and ask for his blessing again. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time that you have granted us to go into your word, to learn about the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to learn about his work in our salvation. And we pray for understanding. We pray that you open the eyes, spiritual eyes of your people in their hearts that they may see and hear the truth of Christ. May you also help me to be faithful to your word, I pray. And thank you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. We um back to the teaching and hearing of the gospel, the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And greetings to one and all in the name of Christ. We thank God for this season. We thank God for life, for being faithful to keep us this far and blessing us with everything that we have and everything that we know. And today we are going to take a detour from Exodus. We should be back in Exodus maybe next week or the week after, but we are going to take a short detour into the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs 31. And work our gospel understanding from the first nine verses. The first nine verses of Proverbs. And we'll go right there and read our text. And this is going to be from the New King James. And this is what the Lord recorded for us. The words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. What my son and what son of my womb and what son of my vows. Do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. It is not for kings, or Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink. Lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Open your mouth for the speechless in the cause of all who are appointed to death. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. And that's the word of the Lord when we'll pack there. And for a title, we only have one title, the words of King Lemuel's mother. The words of King Lemuel's mother. And we'll begin this way from John 5, 39, the words of the Lord Jesus to the Jews, he said to them, you say the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. 
you diligently study the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, but the scriptures testify of Christ. And if you're someone who follow our teaching, and I highly recommend that you follow our teaching because we have a way of teaching that you won't benefit much if you are just coming and listen to one message and then five, seven weeks they are gone and seven months they are gone and then come back. You're not going to be profited by the way that we teach because we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Okay, so it's very important for your own benefit, for your own edification. But you know that we love to tell the story of Christ from the Old Testament. And we do so because the Lord Jesus himself gave us the fishing license, as it were, to go in there and fish as much gospel nuggets as we can find. Whilst many will come to find tricks, they will come to find formulas and moralism to help them become better people, we do not do that. We come to not make you better, but to make you wise with regards to salvation, to make you knowledgeable to the real issues why Christ came. And in the language of Apostle Paul to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, this is what Paul said to Timothy, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So these scriptures, even these proverbs, are a testimony of Christ and are a testimony of the gospel. And apart from seeing Christ in them, we have not understood them. Yes, we may get some useful things to apply to our life, as many do, but the Holy Spirit said through Apostle Paul that these same holy scriptures are able to make you and I wise for salvation because many people are foolish. When we fail to see Christ from these scriptures, we are not being made wise unto salvation. And that wisdom unto salvation is, according to Paul, through faith that is in Christ. So we should see the doctrine of salvation through Christ. And that should already alert us to the truth that the Proverbs 31 woman is not talking about your wife or your mother, as many have been made to believe or to think. It is all about Christ. But we won't deal with that part of the text until the next message, because if I were to go there, this message will be about four hours long. So let us work the, the testimony of the opening words of 
king Lemuel and the things that he learned from his mother. Things that he thought were so important that God preserved them for us over thousands of years that we should know them, that we should hear them and also be made wise as he was made wise. And these are not the typical Mark Twain sayings. These are not at the same level because these are Holy Spirit utterances. As Paul said again to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, instruction in the gospel, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work of preaching God's message to God's people. So we go to Proverbs 31, verse 1, and this is what was recorded for us. The words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. What my son and what son of my womb and what son of my vows. The identity of the king is not known. And there's a lot of speculation about him. If you want to go and read some more about him from those who thought they knew, still there's no agreement as to the real identity of that king as he wrote it. And it could have been Solomon using a pseudonym. But the point is that this king is about to share some maxims, some fundamental principles that he learned from his mother about how to be a virtuous king, how to be a righteous king. So this king has a mother who is very wise and cares for the successful reign of her son. And this is where many people get tripped or thrown off because they do not know how to translate that kind of understanding to the gospel. They literally get stuck because they're not reading the identities of the people through gospel lenses. They read them through the eyes of gender, and yet that is God's way of hiding things, God's way of throwing people off the truth. And that's why Jesus said, you study the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but they are bearing testimony of a particular person and a particular work, and that is Christ Jesus. And God enters his creation in the pictures so that he may tell the story of his son. All of creation was given by him to tell the story of his son. And that is why the scriptures need the Holy Spirit for us to understand them. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot understand the scriptures. You can study all you want. You can go to seminary and be a master in Hebrews, in Hebrew and Greek and Latin and still miss Christ. You will still not be able to tell the story of Christ from this story. So 
This is what the mother said to the son, verse 2, Proverbs 31. What my son and what son of my womb and what son of my vows. That was the utterance of the mother to the son. She identifies the son as the son of a womb, but also the son of my vows. And that is important with respect to the relationship between the mother and the son, the son of my womb and the son of my vows. So the mother made some vows at some point, either before or after his conception. In other words, there were some covenant words that were adjoined to the birthing of the son. The mother said, verse 3, do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. So a piece of advice was around two things. Women. And to that which destroys kings. She says, do not give your strength to women. Do not give your power to women. And the obvious point being that if you do, they will destroy you. And also to the things that destroys kings. But what things, mother, what things are these that you are talking about? Verse 4. It is not for kings, oh, Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink. She laments and says, it is not for kings, Oh, Lemuel, and she hesitates and then repeated herself and said, it is not for kings to drink wine and for princes intoxicating drink. She knows something about these things and how they have ruined many a good and promising king. Is what happened with Adam ruined by his woman. She says strong drink, wine causes intoxication. When you are intoxicated by wine, beer or drinks or drugs, it means your physical and mental control has been diminished. You lose ability to control yourself. And the mother says, there are two such things that have that power, that power of influence is women and beer, strong drink. Why? So what will happen, mother, if the king gets entangled with the women and gets intoxicated by these, verse 5, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. So if they drink and get intoxicated, the danger is that they will forget the law. And when they forget the law, they will pervert the justice of all the afflicted. They will not rule according to righteousness. And some people who unjustly suffer as a result. But here, my son is the proper use of drink. Verse 6. Verse 6 and 7. 
Give strong drink to him who is perishing. And wine to those who are bitter of heart. Give strong drink to him who is perishing. And wine to those who are bitter of heart. But why? Let him drink and forget his poverty. And remember his misery no more. So give them strong drink to desensitize them from their misery, to dull their pain, to dull their suffering. And that is what many try to do and end with a lot of issues than they started off with. They are bitter of heart. They seek refuge from their problems of life to strong drink, hoping that this would solve things for them, but no avail, they are not helped by it. But now to the positive things, O king, listen to my son, what you ought to do. Verse 8. Open your mouth for the speechless in the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth for the speechless in the cause of those who are appointed to die. Use your power and office and your mind and speak for the speechless. Those who can't defend themselves, stand and speak for all those who are appointed to die And for these, you need to be sober. You need to be righteous. Verse 9. Open your mouth. Judge righteously and plead the cause of the poor and needy. And Lemos' mother has finished her sermon, finished her teaching and exhortation to her son. And obviously the king took it to heart because he determined to share that wisdom with us. And now the moralist will come and say, see, the scriptures forbid us from taking strong drink, from drinking wine. Well, you do not need the scriptures to know that indulging in too much strong drink is bad for you. You don't need the scriptures for that. But we did not get to this text to take you to Alcoholic Anonymous. That's not what we came here to do. We came here because of Christ. Because this matter is about Christ. And let us go back to the text again, starting from verse 2, and work our way to show you in what manner this speaks to Christ Jesus. Verse 2, Proverbs 31. What my son, and what son of my womb, and what son of my vows? That speaks to the identity of the son and relationship to the mother. He is the son of her own generation, came by way of her womb, and came by way of the mother's vows. And that is Christ Jesus. This is Christ Jesus according to the flesh. This is the word that became flesh and tabernacled among us. He was the son of the womb of Mary, 
But he was more than that. And this was not Mary talking to Jesus. This was not Mary talking to Jesus. Hebrews 1 verse 5. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. Sorry, Hebrews 1 verse 5. The writer of, of Hebrews says, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you, and again I will be to him a father and shall be to me a son. John 1, 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him, he has made him known. Christ, as the Son, was begotten by the Father. He was eternally the Son of God and always existed as God. Christ Jesus has always existed as God, as the Logos, as the Word. And related to God, related to the God as the Son and as the only Son, the begotten one. So he possessed divine sonship before he entered human flesh. He was already the son of God. Divine sonship from all of eternity. But in time, that son entered human flesh in the incarnation, which means just an adding of humanity to the word of God. And so by that, he assumed another sonship. And as he ended, this is what we are told by the testimony of Luke. Let's go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26 and following. Luke chapter 1. Luke says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest the son of the Most High, and the Lord God who give him the throne of his father David and who reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom and of his kingdom there will be no end. So do you see the duality of the sonship of Christ? He is the son of of the highest, the son of the most high, and also the son of David, according to the flesh. He traces his line 
from the tribe of Judah, the tribe of David. He is the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. And this son is a kingly son. He will sit on the throne of his father, David. And that means David also was a type of God the Father, as he also was a type of Christ. Because Christ now sits on the right hand of God, not of David. So this son reigns, he rules, and unlike his father David, according to the flesh, his throne is forever. Let's continue still in Luke 1, verse 34 and 35. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be? Since I do not know a man. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. This son was conceived of the Holy Spirit according to the flesh so that he would be taken out of the line of Adam to become the new head of humanity of the elect. So this son, this Holy One, is he who was made to represent the humanity of all the elect in him. So if Christ Jesus is the one who is in the picture of the son, the picture of King Lemuel. Who then is his mother? <laughs> who is talking to him and giving him words of wisdom? Where does Christ get wisdom from? Is this wisdom coming from Mary? There's no way. <laughs> it is God the Father who is in the picture of the mother. And if you want, you can say it is God, the Holy Spirit. But it surely is not Mary. It has to be God. Christ Jesus in his flesh was the son of God. And from God, he got instruction. Hear the words of the Lord in John 5.30. John 5.30, he says, I can of myself do nothing. Is I hear, I judge. I hear from who? From the Father. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Christ Jesus, the Son of God, by God's vows, which means by God's decree, which means by God's covenant. But why did he come as a son of God's vow? Because Jesus did not just show up to show up. Salvation is not a random exercise. It is not a random thing. Jesus did not just up and leave heaven to come to earth to find who would be so kind to him to choose him and make him something. That's not how this thing works. Matthew 1, 21, 
And she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. That's what he came to do. He did not come to stay in the manger and to be admired and be petted like some zoo animal. He came to save his people from their sins. But what else did God do? What else did God vow about his son? Psalm 110 verse 4. Psalm 110 verse 4. The Lord says, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. He will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And the writer of Hebrews will piggyback on that and say this, in Hebrews 7, starting from 14, verse 14, Hebrews 7, for it is clear that our Lord is descended from Judah. Yet Moses said nothing about priests in connection with that tribe. And this is even clearer if another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not by a legal regulation, not by legal requirement about physical descent, about genealogy, but by the power of an indestructible life. The priesthood of Christ is by the power of an endless life, indestructible. Unlike the priesthood of the law, for here is the testimony about him, verse 17, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And that by God's decree. Christ Jesus, the son of God's vows, Christ Jesus, the priest of God's vows, of God's covenant, let's go to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42. Let's go to Isaiah 42. God says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles, that is you and I. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail, nor be, nor be discouraged. Christ will not fail. He did not fail to serve all the people that he came to serve. None of them that he served will be lost. Till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands shall wait for his law. Underline that. And the coastlands shall wait for his law. The coastlands shall wait for whose law? The law of Christ not the law of Moses. Understand me, someone. 
God says, the coastlands shall wait for his law. Why wait for the law of Christ when Moses was already there? Why not just give them Moses? What is that saying? It is saying Christ is the bringer of a new and better and higher law because he is a better lawgiver than Moses. And what law is that? It is the law of salvation by faith alone, by grace alone. That law Moses could not give only Christ. Grace and truth came by Christ Jesus. The law came by Moses. Christ brought the law of life and salvation by grace alone. Let's continue in Isaiah 42 from verse 5. That says God the Lord, who created the heavens and straightened them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I'll keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. Underline that second part of verse 6. I'll keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a vow. God's vow to his people in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is our covenant with God. To open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, no praise Know my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So Christ Jesus came to the world as the son of God's vows. He came as the covenant and under a covenant. King Lemuel continued his testimony and said, This is what my mama told me. People love to talk about their mamas. <laughs> this is what my mama told me. Verse 3. Do not give strength to women. That sounds like what mothers tell their boys. <laughs> Do not give your strength to women. Nor your ways to that which destroys things. Watch yourself against these things. Your strength to women. And to that which destroys things. Be watchful over that. But what is that? What is that? Let's go to Mark 2. Mark chapter 2, 15 to 17. The giving of strength. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples for there were many and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? 
When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. So the Lord was accused of hanging out with sinners, and that means prostitutes. That's women. Prostitutes and tax collectors. He was accused to be a wine bibber and a glutton. And this sounds like he was going against his mother's instruction. But that is exactly what defined his reason for coming to serve his bride who was in the picture of the prostitutes, in the picture of the women, and through wine, the shedding of his own blood. King Lemuel's mother said, verse 4, It is not for kings, or Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. So the reason why the king ought not to drink, drink wine and intoxicating drink, is that he would cause or he would be mad to forget the law and pervert the justice of the afflicted. And so he must maintain a sober and sound mind, especially in respect of the afflicted. There's those who are the afflicted who need justice. And it is the king's business to see to it that they get the justice that they require. But what does that mean with respect to Christ? What is the justice for the afflicted? It was for the salvation of the afflicted. It was for the righteousness of us who have been afflicted by sin. His elect people were afflicted by sin and death in Adam. And he came and established justice for them by standing in for them as their substitute, as their representative, taking their sins upon him, and then God imputing his righteousness to us freely, through faith, by grace alone. And when he came, he could not forget the law. When Christ came, he could not forget the law. For he said, for assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Matthew 5.8.10 He did not forget the words from his mother, forget the words from his father about the law. He said, don't see me hanging out with prostitutes and think that I've forgotten the law. <laughs> I have not forgotten the law. Every jot and tittle of the law will not pass until it has been fulfilled. And that means if it has been fulfilled, 
then it has to be set aside. He fulfilled the whole law before he set it aside for the new and better covenant that was established in his blood. So the law was not forgotten. The law was given everything that it required because this son of this king, sorry, this king was not forgetful of the words that were given him to be mindful of. Let's go back to Proverbs, but we'll go to chapter 16, Proverbs 16, that we may amplify our subject. Proverbs 16, verse 10 to 15. The text says, The divine verdict is in the words of the king. His pronouncements must not act treacherously against justice. The divine verdict is carried in the words of the king, Christ Jesus. He speaks the words of God and says all judgment has been given him and none of his pronouncements on you are treacherous to justice. They don't go against the justice of God. Christ Jesus speaks the divine verdict on your eternal standing before God. He says you are clean on account of the word that he has spoken. That's a divine verdict. He is speaking for the king. He's speaking for God. That's what God says about you. You are clean by the word that he has spoken. Not by you looking to yourself and trying to see if you have become a better person. It's false teaching. We have to hear what the king has to say. He brings the divine verdict. And he speaks the divine verdict according to justice. It was not against justice that he chose the people and redeemed them as many presume election to be unfair because according to them, it takes away people's choice. People who really want to be saved have their choice taken by Jesus. As if anyone ever would choose Christ by themselves. There's no person who ever choose Jesus by themselves. No way. So God was just in justifying all his elect who come to him by Christ Jesus. So the gospel, listen to me someone. The gospel is not a declaration of favoritism granted to some. Favoritism is nepotism and it is not based on merit or justice or righteousness. It is based on corruption and wickedness. Christ, the Holy One of God, established righteousness for the redeemed on just grounds, on grounds of merit, consistent with the holiness and righteousness of God. The grounds of him standing for them 
and satisfying God's justice on their behalf. Thus, for him to come and say, you are clean. That is the language of a high priest. That's Old Testament language. That is priestly language. Because in the Old Testament law, it was the prerogative of the priest to make an, an examination of one who had disease, one who had leprosy, and say, you are unclean or you are clean. And Christ says, you are clean. That's all you need to know. You are clean. And when Christ says that it is according to God's justice, to say the one who hears his message and believes the one who sent him and has passed from death unto life and shall not come into the judgment is according to God's justice. It was a pronouncement, a declaration of the divine decree, of the divine decree to say, James, you are righteous. As scandalous as that may sound to some, I am righteous. And this according to the justice of God. Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation. And that is God's communication to the redeemed this very day. No condemnation for you. Proverbs 16 verse 11 Honest scales and balances are from the Lord. All the weights in the bag are his handiwork. The Lord hates deceitful scales and balances. And many people are busy measuring themselves by themselves using dishonest scales of righteousness and holiness. But the honest scales and balances are from the Lord. Christ is the one who has brought those honest scales and balances. And by them alone can we know true righteousness. By Christ alone can we know true righteousness. At my work, we have a certified contractor who comes every year, maybe twice a year, to certify our scales and balances so that they are accurate to measure what they are supposed to measure. And these standards, they have standards, standard weights. They are gold standards. And they are kept very clean and they are handled with special gloves. Even dust particles are not allowed on them because that may skew the scales. And dishonest scales who cause you a lot of trouble with customers. Dishonest scales who cause you to overdose on drugs because if something is supposed to be a painkiller for 200 milligrams and a scale says it's 1,000 milligrams, and that is not reflected on the label, you can easily overdose and cause yourself trouble. Okay? 
So there is the dishonest scale of progressive sanctification. Progressive righteousness. That is dishonest righteousness. Because how are you measuring it? By whose scale? And who tells you how much of righteousness you have? I mean, like, really? It is righteousness as one has measured herself or himself. And that cannot be trusted. I am not going to the bank with that kind of righteousness. I am not leaving this planet with that kind of righteousness. I need the righteousness that comes from the honest scales of Christ Jesus. The righteousness that God has freely imputed. Proverbs 16, verse 12 to 14. Doing wickedness is an abomination to kings. Because a throne is established in righteousness. The delight of a king is righteous counsel. And you love the one who speaks uprightly. The Lord loves those that speak uprightly about the nature of man the function of the law and the matter of God's righteousness. Those are they that the Lord loves. Verse 14. A king's wrath is like a messenger of death, but a wise person appeases it. A king's wrath is a messenger of death. And that you say death is an expression of God's wrath. But then, there's a wise person. The wise person does what? He appeases that wrath of the king. And that wise person is Christ Jesus, who appeased the wrath of God for us by his death on the cross. Christ Jesus alone, the wise person, and he has become our wisdom before God. Verse 15. In the light of the king's face, there is life, and his favor is like the clouds of the spring rain. In the light of the king's face, there is life. And I'm sure you can see that this is not talking about Joe Biden. Life is not in the face of Joe Biden. He is the king of America, as it were. This is talking about a different king that's Christ Jesus. So King Lemuel's mother said, Do not get into women because they will bring you trouble. And that's exactly what happened. The Lord Jesus came and got in trouble on account of his bride, the church. And apart from our salvation, apart from the redemption of the church, the Lord Jesus would not have come and suffered. Jesus would not have come and suffered were it not because of our sin. But he came to establish righteousness for us. But mother said, do not take strong drink because it will impair your judgment and pervert the justice for the poor. But the Jews made and brought strong drink for Jesus on the cross. They did. 
Why? John 19, verse 28 and following. Hear this. For two purposes that they brought the strong drink, the wine. They came with the wine and gave it to the king who was on the cross. Remember the inscription, king of the Jews. And to this king of the Jews, they bring strong drink. John 19, 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, <laughs> said, I test. Which scripture? Psalm 69, 21, which says, They put bitter poison into my food, and to quench my thirst, they give me vinegar to drink. Let's continue with John 19. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there. And they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. The Christ was given strong drink to fulfill the scriptures. Also, in the fulfillment of what King Lemuel's mother said to her son in verse 6 of Proverbs, that one gives strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Christ was perishing. Christ was in great distress and misery, in great pain. He was bitter of heart. He was suffering. If you go to Psalms 22, you're going to hear the testimony of the suffering of Christ. He was a man of sorrows. Acquainted with grief. His heart was bitter. Verse 7. Proverbs 31. Let him drink. Let him drink and forget his poverty. And remember his misery no more. And so that is the culmination of that exhortation. Let him drink. And forget his poverty. And remember his misery no more, the misery that was brought upon him because of our sin. And as soon as he drank, what did he say? He said, it is finished. The misery and the poverty have been finished. The debt has been fully paid. God's people have been set free. He gave up the ghost. His poverty and misery for God. That was the end of the suffering of Christ. The Lord Jesus drank the cup of God's judgment to its dregs. Of which that wine that was given him was but just a picture. This was not about drinking alcohol to forget our life's miseries or problems. But was a preaching 
of the cross of Christ. King Lemuel's mother was a great preacher. She now goes to the intercession of the king, <laughs> which is the intercession of Christ. The things that she vowed for this king and son to do. Verse 8 of Proverbs 31. This is what the mother said the son ought to do. Open your mouth for the speechless in the cause of all who are appointed to die. My son, open your mouth for the speechless, those who are not able to talk. Talk about what? Talk about righteousness. Talk about having any righteousness of their own. Mediate for them, my son. Advocate for them. Christ does not intercede for those who are able to talk for themselves. Is what happened in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. They came full of speech, full of prepared speech, talking about their accomplishments, talking about their transformations, talking about their duties, talking about their faithfulness. And said, Lord, Lord, and Lord, Lord, repetition is saying, oh, we know you. Or if I say, oh, Kelly, Kelly, what am I saying? I'm saying, I'm very familiar with you. Oh, Lord, Lord, I know you, Jesus. Didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many powerful deeds, wonderful works in your name? Did we not do those things? These people are not speechless. They are full of speech. And Jesus does not receive their testimony. He says, then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you lawless ones, lawbreakers. What law did they break? The law of faith in Christ, which is the will of the Father. They broke the law of being quiet. The law of being quiet. Do you know about the law of being quiet? But that's what grace teaches you and I to be quiet before God. They broke the law of not being quiet and let the king who is appointed to speak for the speechless as the advocate, as the mediator, as the high priest, he alone has the right to speech. God has in these last days spoken to us by one who is son, one who is Christ. Christ alone has the right to speak, my friends. They opened their little mouths and started beating their little chests before Jesus in the matter of salvation and started talking about themselves. We must needs enter because of these things that we have done. They have their resumes. Their resumes were too long for Jesus. I did this. I prophesied. Oh, Jesus, 
I became a better person. That resume is lawlessness before Christ. But Christ speaks for those who are appointed to die. See that? The mother said, my son, speak on behalf of those who were appointed to die because of their sin. Open your mouth and speak for them. The likes of Barabbas, Barabbas was appointed to die. And Jesus doesn't have to open his mouth to speak. Jesus can speak quietly, inaudibly. He spoke and Barabbas was set free. Barabbas was not set free by Pilate. There's not another sinner who sets a sinner who is condemned to die free. Christ alone. It's Christ who set Barabbas free. It is Christ who mediated for the freedom of Barabbas. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Problem is, we don't feel ourselves needy and poor with respect to righteousness. Every time we come and declare the sufficiency of Christ, some other foolish person always wants to talk about themselves. About how we have to be better people. They never want to stop at Jesus alone. They have to talk foolishness about themselves. God says, plead the cause of the poor and needy. Christ the King. King Lemuel. And Lemuel, by the way, means the one who is devoted to God. That's what the name of the king means. The one who is devoted to God is the one who opens his mouth and judges righteously and pleads the cause of the poor and needy. The poor and needy in righteousness. The poor and needy cannot afford a good lawyer to take their cause and win before God. That is why even in our own court systems, if you can't afford a lawyer, the government will give you a lawyer for free. And that is in the picture of Christ. And when he pleads, he pleads according to his righteousness. And that righteousness is never anything that you and I did. Never your transformed life but the imputed righteousness of Christ. That's how he pleads for the poor and needy. My dear friends, let us remain poor and needy. That Christ may stand up and speak for us on that day. Let us finish this way. This building in the background for the prophet said one woman. <laughs> We've seen that King Lemuel was a child of the womb of his mother. He was a king of righteousness and raised in righteousness to dispense and rule according to righteousness. And that means he is the Lord Jesus, our righteousness. A king born as a child of vows, a covenant to come and plead the cause of the poor. 
Do not take that job description from him. That is his work. That is his function. That is his responsibility to plead the cause of the afflicted, of the poor and needy. But at some point, he gets in trouble with the women for which he have to die and get the strong drink. And he completes his life with the intercession for his people. That's Christ. That's what he does. He ever lives to make intercession for us. And now to gospel preaching, we again go and seek the wisdom of the words of the mother of King Lemuel, who said in verse 5 of Proverbs 31, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Let's define some things that I have a point that I need to make about the perversion of the justice of all the afflicted. What is to forget the law? It means forgetting what the law really demands of a sinner, which is death. Forgetting that the law is not for holiness or righteousness for a sinner. That the law brings about wrath and increases the transgression. That's forgetting the law. When people talk about the law-keeping, they are forgetting that about the law, that the law demands perfection. The law kills. It is the letter that kills. The law is the ministry of death and condemnation. And Lemos mother says, those who forget this matter of the law pervert the justice of all the afflicted by laying burdens on them, which they cannot do. That's how you pervert justice for those that Christ has redeemed. You are putting on them burdens that are too heavy for them to carry. And so, what is to pervert the justice of all the afflicted? It is to pervert the gospel and establishing or by establishing some other grounds of life and righteousness that is not Christ alone. It is saying, well, imputed righteousness is not enough. It is saying faith alone is not enough unless by my judgment, I see that you have transformed your life according to my satisfaction that is perverting the justice of all the afflicted because Christ has already done all these things for them. Christ was afflicted to establish this righteousness for us. Here Paul, in Galatians 1 verse 6, about the matter of perversion, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you. How? 
How were they called according to the text? Who called you by the grace of Christ? Stop there. That's the gospel. Called by God, by the grace of Christ. End of story. And are following a different gospel. Do you see that? If it is not grace alone, it is a different gospel. I don't care if you call it reformed or Presbyterianism, Roman Catholicism, you, I don't care. As long as it is not by the grace of Christ as alone sufficient, it is a different gospel. Not that there really is another gospel. Paul is saying grace is not one among other ways of salvation. Grace in Christ is the only gospel there is. But there are some who are disturbing you and wanting to pervert, to distort the gospel of Christ. And how do they do that? By adding conditions to grace. They add things to grace, add things to the cross. They add things to the imputed righteousness of Christ and say, you have to have some imparted righteousness too. When you condition salvation on the sinner, you are perverting justice for the afflicted because Christ already established justice for us. You are perverting what Christ has done. King Lemuel's mother says, no, that is unrighteousness. That is false teaching. Yes, this perverted gospel of works righteousness that does not condition salvation on Christ alone, on grace alone, is what many unfortunately claim to be the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is that which is freely imputed on account of the faithfulness of Christ. So be careful of how you hear. Listen to mother. Listen to your mama. <laughs> mama knows something about the matter of salvation. We are done, my brothers and sisters. I was tired today. I did two messages for our YouTube channel. I posted one last night and I'm going to post the other one, maybe today or tomorrow, I'm going to be doing a series called Gospel Fundamentals. So be looking out for that. But we are done. I pray that the Lord blessed you with the understanding. Okay? And I'll actually give a benediction before we close off our broadcast. And that will come from Hebrews 13, verse 20 and 21. The writer of Hebrews says, now may the God of peace, who by the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Jesus, equip you with every good thing to do his will, working in us what is pleasing before him, through Christ Jesus, to whom be glory 
forever. Amen. Let's pray and get done. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we bless you. We thank you for these wonderful words from the utterances of King Lemuel's mother, the matter of the righteous king who dispenses justice to the afflicted, dispenses justice to the poor and needy, and does so righteously. And we thank you for the testimony of Christ that is in it, that Christ is our king who has dispensed life and righteousness to us by his justice, by his faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, for the message of grace. We thank you for your people. We thank you for this season. We pray for all your people, whatever they're going through. May you encourage them by this truth. Lord, we honor you, we glorify you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.